0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Zonglu, who's the co-founder and CEO of Deliverick, uh, which helps restaurants streamline their online sales and automate the business by connecting online sales channels directly into their POS, and they've processed over $2.5 billion in GMB in 2020. And a uh, 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 delivery has raised more than $90 million from Ivy League investors like GST Global. Zhong uh, has uh, been an alumni of Gen D University. Welcome to the show, Zhong.
1: Hey, thanks Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Awesome. So, uh, you know, uh, you have an interesting journey from, from Belgium. Um, how did you get your start in, into into this crazy world of startups?
1: Uh, I'm now 37 year old uh, but I started very very young. Uh, Dellib itself is uh, a very young company. it's uh, three and a half years that's been set with almost uh, four hundred people uh, serving customers you know in, in forty markets with offices, officers, so hyper skill. Um, you know, sometimes people ask me, how the hell did you just do that so quickly in three years? Um, and honestly, I think, you know, uh, I always tell them, you know, I'm a bit cheating because I'm not doing this for three years. Uh, three years. I've been almost 20 years as an entrepreneur in the hospitality space, right? Uh, you know, I started very young, uh, you know, at age 16, 17, I was already creating websites for... You know, Asian restaurants. Uh, you know, uh, you know one day, the first version of HTML and so on. And the reason was that uh, my father is an immigrant, but uh, he also created, uh, you know, 25 years ago, uh, a point of sale, a restaurant management system for mainly Chinese restaurants in Belgium. So, uh, anyway, especially as a kid from uh, any immigrants, you know, they push you very, very hard of like, hey, you better start making a living and, and work. Uh, so that's how I, I, I roll in that uh, in that world. Um, that being said, I, my biggest fear, unlike was taking over business. So I was thinking, you know, I need to get out of this restaurant, you know, software space. So I, uh, I actually learned to code very young on at 16, 17, and then, uh, did the university as software engineer. Um, and, you know, uh, we worked at, uh, I worked at a couple, uh, you know, international and bigger companies as well as startups. And, um, You know, the fear of taking over the business, uh, you know, pushed me into creating a better solution than uh, his system. So uh, when the first iPad came out, uh, iPhone, iPad came out in 2010, 11, I thought, wow, that's the moment. You know, I saw Steve Jobs taking the iPhone and presenting the iPad. uh, And that was very early on. I thought, wow, that's the way of, you know, creating a software where, you know, it's on a bespoke platform. Scaling everywhere without you know, thinking about hardware, uh, having a lot of issues. So in 2010, 11, uh, I created my you know, second one, but uh, a real one, PYS iOS, creating one of the first iPad point of sales for restaurants. Uh, and that company itself uh, scaled tremendously you know, from a small startup with two guys, with my co founder, Yang Li, to, uh, you to know, in two years uh, having customers in 24 countries. Singapore, New York, we, we did it very naively, you know, <laughs> you know, putting it all in, uh, you know, uh, you know, taking borrowing money from the bank, putting our houses as collateral, uh, to scale that company. And in 2014, I think to, to go even quicker, we had a, a very big company in, in U.S., Canada called Lightspeed, uh, a public company today, uh, that uh, that called us and said, hey guys, don't you want to join us? Uh, you know, we're in the retail, you're in hospitality, you know, help us run uh this side of business uh, so basically i, I ran the hospitality side of like point of sale uh, a company on mazda gsx uh, today up to ipo and uh, you know that's uh, that's when also the the story of the wreck uh, you know uh, started you know as the as any founder I was very restless and saw a different opportunity saw the market needing for a solution and like the first time i was thinking why the hell is nobody doing this and everyone's in pain so uh, we decided to uh to ditch everything and start from
0: scratch again, so I have little breath today yeah no, uh that's a that's a super interesting story because uh you've been working for twenty years and I can totally understand you know of, with immigrants uh you know the, uh, the the uh the hustle and the uh, the resilience is always there um and, you know you, you started off working with your father's company uh you know, how how's that experience and do you think uh, you uh, would you give an advice to to work in a in a bigger company like like a McKinsey to understand the process, or do you think uh, somebody who just fresh out of college should work for for a startup and, and learn uh, if he wants to build a business going forward?
1: Yeah, so you know, after my university, you know, I was engineering. My first job was like a startup, so um, you know, and that was good because um, I learned to fail. Uh, I'll tell you why, because uh, you know, people will say, hey, you never fail. It's not true. I failed, that it was just not my company. So that startup uh, learned a lot of things. And uh, one of the most important things is everything in business is about timing. And I will tell you why. That startup was creating uh, software and mobile transformation for you know, website to mobile websites, uh, as well as mobile apps, before the iPhone existed. So, smartphone. We did that for years for creating smartphones, That smartphones were, you know, uh, Blackberries of this world. Nokia n 95 Symbian, you know, these old, uh, old devices. And if you think about it, back then we were, you know, a bunch of 20 engineers that are super good at making apps and mobile stuff. just a year or two years, too early, you know. And the, the fun is, it's not even about capital because that company raised four or five million dollars to say, hey, we're going to transform the world to mobile. But because, you know, the market was not there, independent how great we were, how much capital we had, you know, it failed. And that's why one of the lessons, you know, especially in, 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 in later stages or, you know, in PYS, IOS, as well as directive, is people assume you need a lot of capital and resources to start. It's more about, hey, you should create that entity, get that first customers, and you know wait for the market to hit the right timing. So once the market is there, you need to go. But sometimes you also, the market's not there. And you know if you rush into this and say, hey, I'm gonna take a nice lease, hire a lot of people, then you're gonna die. Independent how much capital you have and so on, you're not ready to scale, right? So that was one of the lessons I learned. Um, and to give you a point of, hey, you know, how about bigger companies? I did also want to see how uh, the grass was greener at the other side. So after that company went 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 down, I said, hey, you know, maybe startup life is not for me. Uh, let's go to a, 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 you know a corporate court. So uh, I, I joined a Belgian company called EBS Broadcast. Nobody will know that, but these guys invented the slow motion, and they have um, you know every and they invented streaming. So every soccer match in the world, every, you know, NFL, basketball, Roland Goros, you see on the world, it passed through their servers. And I created there, the, you know, together with the team, a cloud archive. And, you know, what, what's good was, hey, I learned that even at a young age, I can create massive solutions for these massive corporates. That being said, um, you know, quickly we realized that was not for us because everything moves so slowly and, you know, the disruption, uh, that you wanted as engineer, you know, it's hard to get in a larger corporation because of the politics and well. so on. So hence when the moment was there to jump, uh, we did it. Uh, and you know, when we created TOS iOS, um, because of the lesson learned in previous companies, we actually coded the software with two during a stand of nine months where uh, we took all the weekends, all the evenings, and even in the traffic jam, because we were working you know, quite far. And, uh, you know, every day, one of the two, there were two, one uh, co-founder drove, I was coding, or he was, uh, he was coding, I was driving. And we, we even coded like that two, extra two hours a day, you know, so we calculated with being in a traffic jam and using all our weekends and holidays. Uh, we almost had a full-time uh, job to code our company, uh, you know, while doing other companies. So bootstrapping completely and launching at the global scale. So very naive, uh, but in hindsight, each time now I start a company, people always ask me, John, you have so many resources. Why the hell are you sitting in a you know, tiny shed on two tables and you know you're buying chairs and IKEA. You know, you don't give your guys the best equipment, I said you don't get it. So that's you know, getting that feeling of
0: fighting for it and waiting for that time. I have an interesting stat for you, to denote note that the founder of Beautiful Lives. Increase the social media presence by ten X. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemaster dot slash social to get a fourteen-day free trial. Yeah, no, I think that's super inspiring. That uh, and and also very relevant for. Entrepreneurs are listening to this podcast that you know you need to start small uh, and you know have the hustle uh, and to to make it big. Um, yeah, I, I want to talk about how do how do we come up with the with the idea of or uh, delivery and what's a, what's the revenue model for that?
1: Yeah, I think the delivery um, idea is it's similar to uh, any other ideas. listening to your customers, right? So the first time I tried POSI was uh, it's about less about tablets, well hey People wanna to move to cloud because you don't wanna have a system breaking down. You need to call someone that drives you uh, to a restaurant to change something, right? So that was really the flexibility. So the next evolution in hospitality was going online. It's so logical today. Uh, but back then, even you know, when we had this idea, um, you know, although you have to you see know, retail and hotel where everything is went online, you know, so for dot .com, you know, uh, uh, retail, Amazon, and so on. Restaurants were like, hey, we're a food, we're about service, hospitality, hot food. It's never going to happen. Nobody is going to bring or disrupt all this online. That being said, since 2016-17, um, you know, with the growth of Uber Eats, Deliveroo, GrabHub, DoorDash, all these delivery companies, um, restaurants saw 10, 20, 30, and even more of their revenue coming from these players, right? Uh, and of course, that was pre-COVID. So we saw this trend early on where not one or two, but hundreds and thousands of restaurants around the world told me, do you need to fix this for us. Because what we were not afraid of, this change of online, we are now. And we need a party a partner that can help us to navigate this change of world. Because, you know, every day there's new online players coming up. We can't cope with this. And we are scared, but we do need to adopt them. But so that's where the Delivered comes in. So we are not an online ordering company or a point of sale. But what we help restaurant is really, you know, allowing them to sell on any channel at any time without caring about operation. And the result of this is even astonishing because it also helps the online world as well as the offline world. Because we're providing an uh, API backbone of on the band food. Anyone today online that want to access a physical restaurant can do this through Delibrex. Uh, and hence, you know, that uh, uh, Delibrex scale very quickly. You know, we're solving a, you know, a need for multiple parties uh, in a global environment. And then about timing, you know, we started one year before COVID happened. So we didn't foresee that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, and sometimes, you know, that was the perfect timing, right? Uh, if I'm honest, each time you start a company, it takes six to nine months to make the MVP. to And then you need a quarter to just, you know, commercialize a bit. So a year is a, is a good time. And after a year, you know, it's time to scale. And of course, besides us scaling and doing that size, um, you know, the world moves up a couple of years uh, into the future very quickly. So hence, um, you know, uh, acceleration has happened even more. And, you know, even if I don't want to, uh, we need to, to to push the gas level. And so that's why we're scaling so rapidly.
0: Yeah, no, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. The COVID have been, has been an accident accelerated a lot of businesses and a lot of uh, companies, especially uh, companies like Delverick. And, uh, uh, you, you know, I'm how much capital have you raised uh, till now and how has been your experience raising money uh, remotely?
1: So that's quite funny so besides our first ground uh, we all around our remote <laughs> so yeah. we raised uh, a, a series day with omers in uh, you know in height uh, you know 2020 in the height of the pandemic so march yeah like the week of the lockdown yeah. and you know uh, in the you could say hey you know they they probably foresee that foresaw that we're going to do uh, a perfect fit for this well i think that was you know, having good investors means a lot. They stick their gun to it with us, and that uh, we're gonna make it happen. As well, the last round was uh, with DSP uh, leading at a red point. I uh, was also, you know, mid in the pandemic. Um, I think raising money remotely has um, been easier than before. Imagine before, if you want to go get capital you need to do, almost do you know, a round-the-world trip, right? So you want to have some USBCs, you need to travel a week to, uh, to San Francisco, you need to have physical meetings in, in London and so on. And you know, these pitches are, are tiresome. You need to get there, you, know, you do one in the morning, maybe one or two in the morning, one or two in the afternoon. But even that, you know, we can't probably do as much. as uh, Now online, you know, uh, I think when we went to market uh, last year, uh, in, in the first couple of weeks, we just said, "Hey, let's do five, six online." I did Zoom back to back, telling the story, pitching um, to investors, and you actually very quickly get an answer, right? Because people understand we cannot be there, so it's more about creating that relationship. Um, and second thing is, uh, it is very important for people raising. Uh, you know, you can't just cold call investors. Uh, if anything you do in this world is out trust. So you need to have trust, with a current investor that can vouch for you, or people that you know that can vouch for you. So, um, hence again, the reason we can go so quickly with Librex is, or you know, um, the years we, we we have been in this space, that we made a lot of friends, but also people understand, uh, you know, uh, the trustworthiness of us. So that's a very important bit of reading capital.
0: Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. That it's important to build trust and it takes time. I think you've been in this industry for, for a couple of years. It's not an overnight success. It took you a long time to reach here and I think all that relationships will really help out. And um yeah, I w- wanted to know how, how did you acquire your, your first customers on the platform, especially during the times of, of uh COVID. Oh,
2: yeah. So how do we get our first customers? Um, I think it's one of the things is as uh, entrepreneurs is uh, ship your product really quickly, right? Even if you think you have your MVP, it's not MVP enough. Go to the bare minimum and bring it to the customer. So and people are then always afraid you know, how do I charge them? I'm gonna give it for free. Don't give it for free, but tell them, hey, we're building this product up. It's gonna take a while, but in the meantime, I really want you as a customer and have something that's useful. And, you know, I understand you can't pay a lot because it's not fully fledged. How about you pay me $10, $20 a month? Not a lot, right? And, you know, what you're asking is, hey, be a paid customer. Give me that feedback. And as well, you know, tell me the lesson learned and be a reference customer for me. And that's how you build that pool of early adopters. Because someone needs to jump and it's always these early adopters that lead the way. Uh, and if you know they can co-create this product, as well being that evangelist and testimonial customers, that's how you build your own customer pool. Yeah, start with uh, you know a couple customers and uh, move from there. Yeah, you need to do a bit uh, fake it to
1: make it as well. Right.
0: <laughs> okay. Got it. And and what do what do restaurants really care about? Uh, are they <clears throat> do they focus more on speed, quality? Uh, what is it that you have found that uh, has been the main uh, pain point for them?
2: a restaurant called uh, focus on service and relationships right so you know you can get in if they trust you so it's all about that because it's a very service oriented business but of course you need your software need to solve something right it need to solve a real pain um, as any business, you need to quantify it, you know, Hey, you know, in the case of Act, if you use us, we uh, automatically increase your revenue after six months or 25, 30%. So it's a no brainer. We solve a lot of human errors, save you a lot of time. So it's quantifiable. So these, you know, measure points is there, but then still to convince them because especially smaller medium restaurants run by, you know, mom and pops is, you know, it's not, Business owners running it's, it's passionate people. It's about, hey, showcasing what others have done, what results are, and still building that relationship so that they trust you, that you are going to help them to excel, right?
0: Got it. And, um, uh, and you know, uh, you've expanded to different countries and, and geographies. You know, what to, uh, uh, do the customers also care about the same thing across uh, different geographies uh, or countries?
2: I think sometimes you, you can find issues that are global, right? The, you know, there's delivery companies everywhere. It's maybe different ones in the Middle East. It's the Talabat, Karim, Yahez, uh, uh, noon and, and so on. But at the end of the day, the problem exists that there's a lot of channels and uh, you need someone to help them to manage that. Um, so if the problem exists and, you know, there's interest, you can scale in that country. That being said, you know, um, be strategic and opportunistic. So what do I mean by, by opportunistic? If you feel there's traction in a certain region, you know, find that local sales guy, set it up and, and build it out. As well, sometimes you can be strategic if you feel, hey, that region I need to be, well, then you need to set it up upfront. Uh, but in reality, most of the times you can create that buzz online, right? For example, the first time um, we create our iPad point of sales, we launch it on the app store in all countries. So automatically, you're going to get requests from the U.S., from Canada, from Australia, and so on. And you know, depending on uh, what the need is, you need to ramp up quickly, right? You see, there's a need, and you need to put these local people there. Uh, and often, it's the first guys there are uh, salespeople that you know really can you know connect the customer, but also building up the relationship in that
0: ecosystem. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM. Got it. And, uh, you And know, what is the sort of framework uh, 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 you use when you when you're looking at you know solving uh, problems and decision making process, especially since you uh, have expanded to different countries and different geographies.
2: Take action better than no action, and reiterate. Go quick. So, I think it's less about problem solving and you know decision making. You know, um, you know if you can make a decision, just make the decision. You know, don't second guess yourself, and you can always change it later. The thing is sometimes, you know, if you don't want to jump for it, this, you know, uh, it has passed, you're not going to make it up. Sometimes you see a good candidate. If your gut feeling tells you it's right, you should just do it. You know, you can say, Hey, you know, uh, I'm going to wait for the next one, but you know, it's very uncertain. So I think as an entrepreneur it's sometimes, Hey, think about the problem and, and, you know, sometimes just make a quick decision because, um, the illusion is that, um, we know it better or someone else knows it better and that analyzing it will make it way you know certain or easier right you do not know that you don't know the market you don't know the problem. so the only thing is iterate quick move quick and sometimes yes you know uh, we make mistakes but then uh, at least you you try and you know what not to do
0: correct you know absolutely i think uh, keep taking actions and but, but when it comes to different geographies uh, do you uh, uh, is it like a centralized decision making where you make all the decisions or uh, do you leave to you know people in in the other geographies to make decisions uh uh for, for the company
2: we really on one of the values we want to take decisions and, and you know uh, action at low as possible in the organization right so you know, our company is not run by rules. It's really run by values. So we we tell people, hey, this is our mission. These are the values. And we want people to run for it. Um, because once you create, you know, too many hierarchical decision making, it really bogs down the, uh, you know, the company. And often when you start as, as, as a small uh, company or a new region, you actually attract the people that are very entrepreneurial. You know, the first guy starting for you in a country, that's not going to be a guy that is comfortable in a nine to five job because he would not join you because it's like, hey, I'm the first person there. So automatically they they are actually go-getters. So the last thing you should do is uh, boggle them down with your rules that you think it's amazing and so on. You do need to guide them, teach them about, hey, best practices, but for them, let them run it and let them, you know, do what they think is right right and, and for the rest the organization itself need to uh, support these leaders uh, so it's about you know empowering everyone and you know having actually a very fragmented decision making it should not top down should not buy a country or hq um, and a good example for this deliberate or c-level uh, or a head level, it's very fragmented. My CFO lives in Berlin. My CRO, my commercial director, is in London. Uh, I'm in, in Ghent. You know, My chief integration office is in Amsterdam. My marketeer is in Amsterdam. My uh, you know uh, head of security is in Madrid. Right. So bringing up that actually, these um, head off and these leaders actually empowers your company to move very quickly because people feel like, hey, you know, there's not someone or somewhere making these decisions on us. You know, there is a, a leader just beside me. Yeah, so we are
1: all equal.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. You know, all your C-level and VP-level uh, you know, level executives uh, live across the world and they all work together. I uh, love that. And, uh, you, you know, how did you go on to build a, such a culture where, you know, you're not physically present? I see a, a lot of companies, they're they pushing their employees to go back to office to, to, to build on culture, but you have built uh, a 400 employee company. Uh, how, how do you how do you structure that culture and how can a, how can a founder when she, once he starts a company build on a culture which is based on you know transparency as well as it can scale up?
2: So culture is a lot of work. Yeah, people say, Hey, it's automatic. It's happening automatically. Yes, it's true. It happens automatically. It's unwritten the first 10, 20 people and 30 people. But once you scale, it dilutes uh, very quickly. So it's actually quite work to maintain that. So how did we do it? Um, you know, it's quite unique. Uh, when we were even with two, Jan and me, uh, we had and still have a full time culture coach. So, you know, we, we had her, you know, when I started a new company, my, not my first time, I said, hey, uh, Ingrid's her name. I said, you need to join us. We're starting a company. I need a culture coach. We're with two. Everyone in the world said, you know, that know me. I said, don't you have really issues with your co-founders. You guys are crazy. You need a coach, you know, <laughs> a therapist, maybe even when you were two. I said, you don't get that. We're going to scale very quickly. And actually, you need someone to write it out, document it, Uh, run the practices. So even today, um, you know, we have an onboarding team, but Ingrid still, um, you know, set up these culture sessions with every group that start, you know, guide them on the principles, give them actually the feeling, hey, you know, you guys are in charge of it. It's not... You know, we're not putting here written text I need to follow is like, hey, this is how we got there, this is how um we follow it, um, to break that you know hierarchy layer, right? Because even culture, when you grow can feel like, hey, it's enforced on me. So you want to make sure people are embracing and going through the same steps. So, you know, building that culture is a, a lot of hard work, a lot of training, and also a lot of repetition. We do a lot of off And these offsites is really about, hey, understanding you as a person, understanding how you fit in the organization, and understanding and teaching you how to excel, right? So we really want to make sure everyone in the company grows and automatically this culture keeps alive. So it's not, you know, it doesn't happen without doing the work.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, in in what way uh, can leaders feel safe to take uh, big bets, uh, but also not, you know, lose any accountability if that that does not work out? Uh, How do you uh, how do you make it safe for the executives?
2: So I think one of the values is, you know, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you land uh, among the stars, right? We're uh, heavy on rocket ship and galaxies. And that's very true. So we want you to push the envelope, right? It's high intensity. Yeah. You know, it's it's about, you know, we go quickly. We don't want to take small aspirational, you know, steps. You know, we really want to go and grow as quick as we can. That being said, sometimes if you miss, you know, it can happen. But as long the person did his best, as long, you know, he tried and this were whatever reason not uh, successful, we will, as leaders, back them up. I think that's where, you know, actually, you know, a lot of success comes from. So sometimes we we have leaders said, you know, that didn't make it. And, you know, they're very anxious talking to us. It's like, hey, you know, I didn't make my goals and targets. And. If you're in that position, you have two ways or you're supporting the guy or you're going to crack them down and supporting them. Um, that being said, also helping them to understand why and how we can make it better is going to put these people in the next level. You know, but they also know, hey, you need to, you can't, you know, uh, never make your target. Right. But so it's that balance. Um, and, you know, I think this is important for us because. We will have worked and created a lot of companies and you know, we have a, a gotten circumstances where people had burnout. out. Uh, people you know did everything and and burned out for all sorts of reasons. And in hindsight, it's never worth it, you know. So it's better to make people happy and you know motivate them in the right way, and you're gonna see actually they're gonna overachieve uh, what they can do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we won't pressure them. I, I do think you need to. You know, make sure people are a little bit out of their comfort zone to achieve things. Yeah. If you're just in your comfort zone, you're not doing something, uh, you're not doing it right. You're doing something wrong.
0: Well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's important to push, but also support them all uh, the time. And, um, you know, I quickly really want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book?
2: Uh, uh, One of the books is Turn the Ship Around. It's uh, quite a book from David Marquette. It's from a nuclear submarine uh, general, and it's very different what you think. It's a book about how um, you can turn your followers into leaders, right? You know, it's a book about how, you know, even in nuclear submarine, where it's super hierarchical, this boat, this ship runs completely Without any of the you know the the leaders or the, the captain making a decision, right? It's about hey, it's very bottom up, and it's it's a cool cool story to read. Just you know because it's such a contradiction, <laughs> you would never expect
0: that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's a first from you know more than two hundred uh, guests who have come on the board. So I'm 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 going to definitely look at uh, reading this book uh, uh, later. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started uh, delivering, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Uh,
1: I would
2: not change anything. I think we, uh, this time, you know, I think the the reason is um, in POS, iOS, after we've done it, we said, man, there's a lot of things I would have done it differently. I would have gone quicker. I would have, uh, you know, uh, skilled quicker, raised more capital, and so on. I think this time, we have done what we could have done, uh, you know. So, and yes, we're going to push more, but um, you know, I, there's smaller tweaks. But I think the steps taken are the necessary steps.
0: Got it. And do you have any favorite online tools? Example: Gmail, Slack, Zoom.
2: Um, I'm a big favor of, a fan of, of Slack. Uh, I think that works. You know, we also use it as a automation tool for other things, right? So it's interwoven in our business. You know, even notifications to, you know, uh, one of the things is doing donuts, right? And, and you know, there's an app called Donut where you know, in this time, you know, we can't get coffee, right? Especially when we're all remote, so you know, that thing pops up once a day, you know, saying, hey, you need to have a donut of 15 minutes to chat with a random guy, and we really love that in the company because if you meet everyone uh, around the world uh, without you know uh, agenda uh, especially online can be daunting right if the ceo says hey i need 10 minutes to chat you know i think people get very nervous <laughs> to do that you know it's okay I'm, I'm throwing that pool and can have a normal chit chat yeah
0: correct. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes uh what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about delivery
2: yeah i'm, uh, I'm a I'm avid linkedin user so uh you know uh, you can hook uh link me up uh, you know ping me you know uh, I, I won't be able always to make, uh, respond but uh i'm quite often uh, online linkedin good
0: <laughs> we'll the show much um Azong, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us i really enjoyed my conversation with you
2: thanks Rohit. i uh, had a great time being on your show